Pastor Xavier Reese and the progression of sin. He presses at him about his personal sin and guilt because he's seeking confession. He says, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Are you saying you disobeyed my command to not eat? Is that what you're saying? God is waiting to hear, yes! God wanted Adam to acknowledge his sin. He's waiting to hear confession and repentance. He didn't get it. Adam accuses his wife. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Turn on the TV, and you're bound to find a handful of programs taking you right into the courtroom. And whether it's divorce court or small claims, the common denominator seems to be in the consistency of everyone's plea. It's not my fault. Well, today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the first trial known to man, way back at the beginning of the Old Testament book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 through 24. The message entitled, It's Not My Fault. The fall of man in the Garden of Eden has been revealed to have taken place through the conversation between the serpent and Eve, which was the result of believing three lies. To doubt God's, the word of God, to mistrust the character of God, and to trust in oneself more than God, from verse 1 through 8. What follows is a judicial court scene where the guilty parties are held responsible for their sin regarding the fall. Let me read here for us. Chapter 3, verse 9 on down. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between um, your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his seal. And to the woman he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrows and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I command you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herbs of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now... As he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And so he drove out the man. He placed cherubim in the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. The judicial court system, holding the guilty parties responsible for their sin. Three movements revealed this. 
Notice first the confrontation of sin, verse 9 through 13. Then you have the discrimination of sin, verse 14 through 19. And then you have the reconciliation from sin in verse 20 through 24. The confrontation of sin. This is the first trial held on earth. The judge of all the earth is the one presiding. The one who everyone will have to give an account for. Everything they've ever done. Notice first in verse 9. The cross-examination of Adam is presented. The man Adam and his wife hid themselves among the trees of the garden. They had eaten of the tree of good and evil. Their eyes had been opened to know personally, by personal perception, that they were naked. And so they covered themselves with fig leaves. But everything was not well in paradise. Something had changed. Rather than their eyes being open and becoming like God, like the serpent promised them, they were no longer in fellowship with God, nor with each other. Now they were separated from God. The presiding judge, again, is God. Notice he is identified by the phrase Yahweh Elohim. We come back to what he initiated as. He is the creator of heaven and earth and of Adam, the covenant God. The proclamation of the presiding judge, notice, was the cry of a brokenhearted father, not of some tyrannical, dictatorial policeman. The word call means to cry out. And the root has the idea of accosting a person to encounter, cost to meet. The important thing to note that it is God who seeks out man, not Adam. Adam did not seek out God. Sinful man does not seek God. God seeks out man and allows him to respond. Always. Now the question of the presiding judge was not to gain information, but rather to elicit conviction and confession. Make that Note very, very clear. The expression, where are you, refers to the fallen state spiritually of Adam due to sin. Do you understand where you're at? The similar expression will be given in chapter 4, verse 9 of Cain, where he speaks about, where is your, Abel, your brother? God knew. He's eliciting conviction and confession. God wanted Adam to acknowledge his sin, to confess his sin. He knew they were full of guilt, shame, and they were spiritually dead now. Notice in verse 10 and 11 comes the self-incrimination of Adam. And boy, does he self-incriminate himself. Listen well. Adam admitting, attempting to justify himself here, describes all the symptoms of one who has sin and is full of guilt. Listen to what he says. I heard your voice in the garden. He had heard it before. Never bothered him. I was afraid because I was naked. He had never been afraid of being naked before. I hid myself. He never hid himself before. He enjoyed the sweet fellowship with God. The man has incriminated himself, doesn't even know it. All these fear, shame, guilt are symptoms of sin resulting from disobedience revealing that he had the real disease now. Ready? Sin nature. And sociology and psychology always deals with the symptoms, the guilt, the shame, the this, the that, and doesn't deal with the cause, sin. When you don't believe in God, you don't believe in sin, you'll always try to cure symptoms. The problem with symptoms, you deal with them, they appear somewhere else. You've got to get to the cause, the root. It's the heart of man, sin. Notice the presiding judge asked for clarification. God sought the identification of the one who had informed Adam about his nakedness. Who told you you were naked? 
There were only four possibilities, but there was only one right answer. <laughs> you had God, Eve, Satan, and Adam. The right answer was, my conscience told me. I sinned. Conviction. The presiding judge presents Adam as guilty. In the very question. But he presses Adam about his personal sin and guilt. He presses him because he's seeking confession. He says, have you eaten from the tree which I command you that you should not eat? In effect saying, are you saying you disobeyed my command to not eat? Is that what you're saying? God is waiting to hear, yes. He's waiting to hear confession and repentance. He didn't get it. You as a parent say this to your child. You know, he's busted. You saw him. You're saying, hey, where'd you go today? Oh, nowhere. Are you sure? He does not confess. The sinful accusation of Adam comes in verse 12 then. Adam accuses his wife, Eve. Then the man said, the woman, behaving treacherously towards his bride, behaving irresponsible towards his role as head of his wife, behaving selfish and loving himself more than his bride. This is what sin does all the time. This is sin nature. Adam didn't stop there, by the way. He accuses God also. Listen, whom you gave to me with, to be with me. He's berating his creator for the lack of wisdom because Adam is thinking, didn't you say it's not good for man to be alone? Ha, ha, ha. What about it, God? We're too much, aren't we? Bluntly telling God he was the one indirectly responsible for the fall. The Bible doesn't teach that. <laughs> Adam was at fault for sin. Interesting. Adam justified his disobedience by emphasizing the woman's guilt. She gave me of the tree and I ate. As if to say, if she would not have given it to me, I wouldn't have eaten it. So she's directly at fault. How often without, you know, well, if she, Adam was a free moral agent who was responsible for his choice to sin. He should have said, I have sinned. Forgive me. I repent. The cross-examination moves to Eve, verse 13. What is this you have done? As if to say, do you realize what you have done? Do you really understand all the implications? No idea. But she will the rest of her life. The accused thief follows the example of her husband. Remember that husband's, you're a model. You're teaching your wife on how to be godly. Listen, the woman explains how it happened, but not before she accuses the serpent. The serpent! And then she explains how it happened in order to excuse herself. He deceived me. And then the woman also attempts to justify herself. And I ate due to the deception. <laughs> the woman did not acknowledge or confess her sin. And yet she was a free moral agent and responsible for her choices. It is hard to say, you know, I was wrong. I was out of line. But it's so necessary. Man in a sinful state is forever justifying, excusing, and accusing others for their sin and sinful lifestyle. The philosophy of dysfunctionalism is nothing new. It began here in Genesis to an extent. The blame is always on others and the environment. 
our generation is the best for this right now. You're codependent, you're an enabler, you're dysfunctional, you're, you're, you're a liar, you're a sinner. That's what you are. PC language. Nothing new. Listen, your life and mine is the sum total of every decision you have made. I have made. The choices made. Man in a sinful state will forever choose self-protection over confession. It is his nature. Husbands and wives ruin their marriages. I've seen it for 31 years because they will not acknowledge their sin. Pride. Husbands and wives accuse the other completely for everything as if they have no part in it. Husbands and wives justify their behavior of unfaithfulness because of what their mate has done in the past or hasn't done. It doesn't hold water. Paul in Romans 2.15 says about people that it shows the work of the law in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing and excusing them. We just don't like to say, I was wrong. I blew it. It's my fault. I sinned. And so God is forever separated from man until confession of sin is made. You must acknowledge your sin against God. You must confess your sin. You must abandon your sin. And whenever possible, you make restitution for your sin. Though restitution is not always possible, and sometimes it's not wise to attempt it, okay? So you need to have some wisdom and prudence on, on those decisions. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Absolute categorically. If you confess your sin, you're forgiven. That's not the problem. You're forgiven. Eve was beguiled by the serpent, yet she exercised her free will to disobey what she knew to be true. Sinning against, listen, love and light. Love and light. That's what we sin against. The love of God and the light of God. If we say we have fellowship with God and we walk in darkness and we lie and do not practice the truth, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, 1 John 1, 6-7. Straightforward. The confrontation of sin was not a pretty picture, was it? Pretty ugly. Notice the moves to the discrimination of sin, verse 14 through 19. 14 through 15, we have the judicial verdict over the serpent. The presiding judge who pronounces the sentence is Yahweh Elohim once again. So the Lord God said to the serpent, the one who covenanted with all creation to sustain and maintain it. He's the one addressing it. The order of sentencing is important and very significant. Don't miss it. The one who had the greatest privilege had the greater responsibility. Therefore, will receive the greater punishment. In this case, the serpent was the mere instrument but becomes a symbol of evil throughout the scriptures. The one being addressed, of course, is Satan. Lucifer, the one who dwelt in heaven, second to God, a cherub who had rebelled and took a third of the angels with him in heaven. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Revelation 12. The word serpent means a snake, but it comes from the root word enchantment. The word appears five times here in this chapter, 30 times in the Old Testament. Notice the verdict of the presiding judge for the serpent is threefold. The verdict is associated first with the crime committed. Because you have done this, 
defame the character of God, deceive the woman and the man. The verdict is more severe than the rest of creation. You are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. All of creation suffered in the fall. Romans 8.20 says, decay and death entered in. But the phrase more than gives the emphasis of the increased degree of effect by the curse to the serpent. The verdict speaks of punishment. Listen, on your belly you should go. And you shall eat dust all the days of your life. On your belly you shall go is the curse. Indicating abasement, humbling of the individual. In fact, the implication could indicate that the serpent walked upright before the fall. Even though someone had denied it, the implication is there. Why did he stay on your belly then? Notice the reference to and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. This speaks of defeat, degradation, and submission. It's used like that in Psalm 72, 9 and Micah 7, 17. You shall eat dust like the snake to the enemies. The interesting thing is that in the millennial kingdom, the dust shall be the serpent's meat. The serpent is the only one of God's creation that isn't restored back to its original state. Isaiah 65, 25, the only one. Now, notice the presiding judge pronounced the spiritual power struggle now in existence and the promised redeemer. Verse 15. The pronouncement is to Satan as the source of the evil in the temptation and seduction of Adam and Eve. So this is addressed to the serpent. The Lord points out the perpetual spiritual warfare in the human race. I will put enmity between you and the woman and your seed and her seed. The word enmity means hatred, referring to the two families that now exist. The godly seed and the ungodly seed. And that would follow into Israel and everything else, okay? The most definite meaning, secondly, is that the seed of the woman refers to the first promise of the Messiah to be born without a man through the Holy Spirit. For a woman only has an egg. The man provides the seed. She has the egg. So it's the man that's needed. Here's the first prophecy of virgin birth. Isaiah 7, 14, a virgin shall bear a son. You should call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Matthew 1, 20 fulfills it, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth the son made of a woman under the law. Here you have the first proclamation of the gospel in seed form. Your Messiah. Notice the Lord promised the permanent defeat of Satan by the Messiah. The reference to he shall bruise your head indicates a permanent fatal blow to the authority of Satan over mankind being crushed in his two comings. In his first coming, Christ destroyed he who had the power of death, that is the devil, Hebrews 2.14 says. Christ made an open display and triumphant over Satan and his angels, Colossians 2.15 says. They couldn't hold him. Christ was manifested to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3.8 says. Now, the final destruction of authority and literal destruction will be at his second coming. Romans 16, 20, he shall crush him under his feet soon, and Revelation gives us the full scenarios. Revelation 12, 9, he's cast out of heaven. When he returns a second time, he is destroyed. Now, notice the reference to you, and you shall bruise his heel. Head, now heel. It refers to Satan's temporary blow of Jesus as he died on the cross. For three days, he was in the tomb, went to the lowest part to preach to the, those who had died in faith. He scooped them up, and he rose from the dead. Temporary. Head fatal, heal temporary. 
He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, Isaiah 53 says. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Notice that there should have been judgment here directly, but first there's a promise of redemption before the judgment comes the verdict. Okay? That's God. That's the God we serve. No one will ever get shortchanged by God. No one. Now notice in verse 16, the judicial verdict over the woman comes. The presiding judge addresses himself to the woman here, and he again is the creator of the covenant God with whom she has broken trust with also. He addresses her secondly being the next most responsible for the fall after Satan. She first ate and then she gave to her husband. Now notice the presiding judge pronounces a threefold verdict and it's in relationship to the family life. Listen well. The verdict is related to her God-given ability to bear children. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. The implication being that the original created state, she would not have gone through this sorrow, through this pain. Real simple. The sorrow is identified by the description of pain. The word pain means physical and emotional. And if you're a woman, you have a baby, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> The entire life of man was now marred. Sorrow, pain would be the existence of man's relationship between men and women and, and the whole scenario instead of the perfect harmony that which God had planned for them. By their choice. Can't blame God. Though sin is forgiven, listen well, the consequences remain for the rest of our lives. Eve brought this on herself. Very, very clear. The verdict is related to her rebellion against her God-given head. Next, her husband. Listen, your desire shall be for your husband. Some say this refers to her submission of the woman and her desire sexually towards her husband. It can't be, because that was the original state, imperfection. This is the curse. It has to be the opposite. The word desire means to long or to crave for. The word here in the same grammatical structure only appears three times in the Old Testament. I'm going to take them in reverse order. The context will always give the meaning of the word. Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10, it's used as a desire of the woman for her husband on the honeymoon night in their marital relationship. Nothing wrong with that. That's the context. The second one is found in chapter 4, verse 7 of Genesis, where God tells Cain, and we'll get to that later, that Sin wants to desire, is desirous to master you. It's like a ravenous beast ready to leap upon its prey. If you don't turn from it, it'll control you. The third, which really here is the first, the context is the woman's desire, craving, longing to usurp authority and control over the headship of the man. Wow. Man say, I don't understand women. I do. It's the fall. <laughs> I don't understand, man. It's the fall. The verdict also relates to her being dominated by her God-given head, her husband. This is the flip side. She wants to usurp his authority, be the head, and he shall rule over you. As in the first part, the context is the curse. The original creation was not like this. Now it's the curse. The man in his sinful nature 
wants to rule, and the word rule means to dominate, to reign over the woman. There's the sin nature of the man and the woman. The battle of the sexes came about as a result of the fall, not God's doing. But they brought this judgment on themselves through disobedience. Pastor Xavier Reese and the Consequences of Sin. And you can pick up a copy of today's challenging study from the book of Genesis called It's Not My Fault. This is available on CD for just $4. Now make sure you pass this along to those in your church or Bible study. Now the title to ask for once again is It's Not My Fault. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Why is life so much hassle? Is Adam really to blame? Join Pastor Xavier Reese as he discusses the pitfalls of the fall. That's next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 